Hi, everyone. Welcome to Sobriety Unleashed, the podcast that helps you quit drinking, live an alcohol-free life. I'm Simon. And I'm Ellen. And today we are talking about, well, it's quite apt, really. We're talking about alcohol and anxiety, because I don't know about you, Simon, but I'm a little bit anxious today because we're doing this slightly different today, aren't we? Yeah, we're recording the podcast live on YouTube, which is absolutely anxiety inducing. So we're, we're live in front of a studio audience. <laughs> but it's good. And this is a subject that I know like you, it's really close to your heart because drinking alcohol and anxiety was something there's like there's a few different sections of this subject, which is really interesting for you. I know that you used to drink alcohol to kind of overcome your anxiety. Um, and for me, my long-term sobriety has a lot to do with de- um, my long-term sobriety has a lot to do with me dealing with my anxiety that I didn't even realize I had when I used to drink alcohol uh, and it's only come to light that I'm a real high functioning um, or over-functioning anxious person but first of all let's find out about you and your story with kind of alcohol and anxiety. Yeah absolutely I didn't realize that I was drinking for anxiety or as a coping mechanism for anxiety but what I did notice over the years was I was getting more and more anxious and it actually got to a point where I was working in a law firm as the marketing director and I had to give a monthly presentation only to 15 or 20 people and I got to the point where I couldn't read the presentation out and I had to get the boss to do it for me while I sat there like a bit of an idiot and that was when I realized that my anxiety was getting bad I was having panic attacks I never really connected it to alcohol and I'm not saying alcohol was completely to blame for my anxiety but it was definitely fuel on the fire and when I quit it took a little while but I noticed how it went down from about eight or nine out of ten just steadily after a couple of months down to seven six five four and then it's probably been about two or three out of ten ever since and actually I track it every day I just use a like in my journal just I make a note of what my anxiety is and I pay attention to what increases it what helps me reduce it so I really think that self-care routine is important and I know you've got a good self-care routine Ellen absolutely and I think it's really interesting that you say like the giving the report made you really really anxious because I know that in school and in college it was something that I couldn't do was get up in front of the class and speak I would call in sick every single time it was my turn to do like stand in front of the class I was like I am having none of that and yet both we uh, we're both here today doing a live stream on um, on YouTube so it's really interesting how we've completely overcome that and I think once you become more confident in yourself and that anxiety goes then you find yourself being able to be outside your comfort zone and do things that you couldn't do before that's so true. And I, I've even written a book about anxiety. If you're listening to the podcast and you're not on the YouTube live, you're not going to be able to see it. But I've, yeah, it's a book called FAQs on anxiety. Um, and if you are watching live on YouTube, do post a comment. If you've got questions, worries or anything, I can see Steve's here who says he's grateful for our pearls of wisdom. Linda's here. Hi, Simon and Ellen. Can you can do hard things yeah Yeah. you absolutely can yeah Linda that's Linda from our group who yes I always go back to we can do hard things and it's so 
Um, in life, I used to stand back and think, oh, I can't do that. I can never do that. It would make me too nervous. And actually, that's one of the affirmations I use all the time. And I say it to people that I work with. We can do hard things. So that conversation that you think is difficult, that getting up and speaking in front of people that you think is difficult, go and do it because we can do hard things. And especially when you quit alcohol, you realize if you can quit alcohol, you can do anything you want to. Yeah. And actually talking about hard things, about seven or eight months after I quit, I was invited to talk at This Naked Mind Live in Denver, audience of five or 600 people on the stage on my own, giving a 20, 25 minute presentation. And I went up there and not only did I do it, I enjoyed it. There was a bit of anxiety, of course, but it felt like natural anxiety that was sort of right for the moment. And that's good anxiety. That is, yeah, this is slightly outside your comfort zone, which I think gives you a natural high that you're seeking when you drink alcohol. And you can't get that. For me, it's always being slightly outside my comfort zone. When I gave up alcohol, I always go on about it. I went started climbing, which I'd always wanted to try and couldn't. That's way outside my comfort zone. And I went skydiving, which I had like zero anxiety. It was the weirdest thing. I was completely, from when I used to drink, saying I will never do that, to giving up alcohol, having confidence in myself, being in that situation and saying, I know I want to do this. I know that I will regret it if I don't. So I went up there 100% calm and like, no, I've got this. This is really, really good fun. Yeah. And when you do those things, those hard things, as you say, not only does it help with anxiety and overcoming fears, it also helps your sense of self-worth. You start to feel empowered, good about yourself, know that you can face into challenging things and overcome them. And let's be honest, we don't always succeed. We don't always succeed the first time. But I think when you've got that mindset of I'm going to give this a go, I'm going to do my best. and And you learn to fail well. Yeah, because if yeah. you're not failing, then you're not pushing yourself. And it's only with learning to fail and learning to fail well that you can build your confidence and that anxiety starts to diminish slightly. Yeah. And I, I firmly believe that actually we only really fail when we stop trying, when yeah. we just give up on something. Absolutely. Absolutely. Tell me a little bit more about the effects of alcohol and anxiety, because I know you're a bit of a, an expert in this. Yeah. I mean, alcohol messes with various different areas of the brain i'm not a brain expert but it plays havoc with so many of the chemicals in there and it essentially is scientifically proven to heighten anxiety and then of course the the big piece with it you often hear people talk about hang anxiety where they've got anxiety the next morning after drinking combined with a hangover combined with regrettable behavior that they feel shame Shame. and guilt from the night before and it all comes together to create this kind of mega anxiety and for me what i would then do is i would recover from the hangover slightly throughout the morning and then I would start fantasizing about drinking again think that well that's going to ease it I can drink again in the evening I would just get stuck in this absolute cycle of it so it's it's about really becoming brave enough to break that cycle and knowing that there's something so much better far superior to living in that daily repetitive destructive pattern yeah and of course the brain is kind of wired because of past behaviors to reach for alcohol every time that you feel anxious because that's all it knows and as far as the brain's concerned it's like well job done i'm not anxious anymore but it doesn't take into account everything that follows and the massive anxiety you have the next day and it only really takes doesn't it building up some new experiences and some new neural pathways to to for the brain to realize that actually it's not just alcohol and you touched on it earlier like daily routine for me is key to dealing with anxiety but emotions in general in sobriety 
Um, we're just so used to using alcohol to numb out, but as soon as we are faced with those emotions, it's completely difficult, uh, different. Yeah, I couldn't agree more. And I think what has happened for me over the nearly four years that I've been alcohol free, and it took a bit of time. I didn't have as much guidance as is available to people now is I've really like I understand myself better mm-hmm. I know what I like I know what I don't like and I know what healthy coping mechanisms work for me I'll yeah. never forget when I got diagnosed with ADHD I mean you wouldn't forget it would you but um that I I remember the specialist said to me that when you have ADHD it's like your brain is on a hunt for dopamine. It's mm-hmm. constantly looking for new sources of dopamine, which is why people with ADHD flip from one thing to oh, another. Focus. One, yeah. yeah, one minute I'll, I'll play, I want to play a video game. I want to paint a painting. I want to go for a walk. I want to go yeah. and ride a bike. You know, it's like this constant hunt for dopamine. But actually that really helped me because A, it made me realise one of the reasons why I'd been using alcohol because it quietens down the thoughts and it gives you a hit. and it also allowed me to really take a closer look at what positive coping mechanisms I was using, which ones really worked for me and allowed me to feel good and get that hit of dopamine in a, in a healthy way. And I know now, I know kind of what works for me in the mornings. What like take, I, In fact, on my sheet where I track my mood and my anxiety and that sort of thing I also put on there have I exercised today yeah have I socialized today did I have breakfast today yeah you know, all did I take my vitamins all of these different things that I know have a bearing and I actually think that that's probably a really good tool that people can use is monitoring thinking about the things that are likely to make a difference and actually tracking how your mood and your anxiety looks on the days that you do and don't do them yeah absolutely and it's one of those things isn't it that you think that one of those little um daily rituals isn't going to make a difference so what's the point what's the point but you add them all together and they make a huge difference and i did an instagram post on it last night actually about the fact that at well, for the past few years, I've been living with somebody with mental health problems, and we've been living in this state of heightened anxiety all the time. Um, and so it is through daily rituals, it's through walking each day, eating well, um, yeah, good nutrition, connecting with friends, setting boundaries, taking time out for myself, other self care rituals, you know, going off and having a massage, whatever, all those things that are really important. As soon as I start to drop some of those, it's like a, a warning flag that hang on something yeah. is not right it's okay life gets in the way sometimes doesn't it so we can't always be walking we can't always be exercising we need to go to work we need to earn a living we need to sort the kids but what i do know as soon as i'm having three or four days where i haven't done something then that's when i i know that i'm going to be overwhelmed with anxiety and that is such a trigger that's, i go back to anxiety and long-term sobriety for me are linked because I know that anxiety and stress are a massive warning sign a massive trigger for me and possibly relapsing yeah that's really insightful actually and it just brought something to mind and when you mentioned about your house when you were saying about home and one of the things that came up for me through like therapy work and working with counsellors and things was actually understanding a bit more about the things that make me anxious and I think it can be really beneficial to drill into what's really coming up for you and I actually noticed a pattern around a lot of my anxiety and it a lot of it related back to this 
kind of underlying fear of losing my home and it was linked to things around money and finances yeah. they tend to they tended to press my buttons much more so than perhaps being anxious there's ellen's dog there's What's my dog saying hello <laughs> You, you said your dog was my dog it will not go yeah the whole half hour without making a noise <laughs> um yeah we might even see the dog if you're watching live on youtube <laughs> um so yeah the what i found was that there was a real link with anxiety and certain sort of triggers around yeah. um finances fear of losing my home and when i traced it back i realized that actually when I was about two years old my dad left our home kicked my mum out of the house we ended up in a council accommodation there was a lot of fear and I realized there was a direct link from something quite traumatic that happened to me when I was very very young and I found that quite comforting because I then kind of could say to my anxiety oh right I know why you're here I know what this is all about you know yeah and I knew that I had it heightened for certain things yeah that is really I'm just going back to that uh you try and control your dopamine hits for anyone that is interested in learning a bit more about that that Huberman lab has a really great podcast as well where he's talking about people who are constantly searching for that dopamine hit and how we can control um, the dopamine so that we level out a little bit more there's not the highs and lows because of course with all the dopamine be- highs become come the lows as well so anyone that's interested in that that's the huberman lab podcast as well i think i need to check that out it is a really really good podcast so there's a, few pe- yeah, there's a few people watching live on youtube which is great it's the first time we've done it recorded the podcast live on youtube so <laughs> that we thought we'd we'd lean into our own anxiety so absolutely Diane's here as well. Hi, Diane. And Alexandra said, I suffer from depression. I didn't start drinking until I was 34. It'd be good to hear a bit more about that, Alexandra, if you could share a a bit about, were you you experiencing depression prior to starting drinking? Did did you think that alcohol was perhaps, or, or, or kind of, did you get unconsciously drawn to alcohol as a way of perhaps coping with the depression? Do you have any idea where it comes from? This is a big one close to my heart because um, my husband, or now my ex-husband, he um, has suffered from mental health problems and depression was a massive part of it. And alcohol was something that he really leaned on to self-medicate before going to the doctors. And we talk about self-care rituals. And I think, you know, people think about like exercise, eating well, um, having a massage, taking a bath. But actually, do you know what self-care, real self-care goes to is being mindful of how you're feeling and dealing with that. It can go be to going to the doctors, going to a therapist, reaching out for help. For me, that is real self-care saying, do you know what? I'm not coping today. I feel overwhelming anxiety and going to those people that, you know, are a safe space um, so depression, it's linked so much with alcohol and people self-medicating, of course, to try and escape it. But it is the worst thing that you can do for your depression. Yeah, it really is. And I think also just to piggyback on what you shared there, Ellen, as well, I, I think one of the other things as well in terms of self-care is really honouring your values. And mm. like a lot of people who come into the journey of quitting drinking, they, they don't really know who they are. They don't really know what their values look like. And when we start understanding them better, the things that bring joy into our life, the things that really piss us off, you know, whatever it might be, 
we can start aligning our life with those values because so much of the anxiety, the low moods, the, the emotional triggers comes from us not living our line in accordance with who yeah. we really are. And there's a real imbalance then between our, our core values and our actions and what we're doing. And when there's that like massive gap in between, then we're so unhappy with ourselves. Yeah. I think it's only... I, I love this subject. This is me, like sobriety to me is all about living by your core values, working out what those are. I love working with people to find out what their core values are and then like bringing mindfulness to it. Keep on, it, are, do my actions and my behaviors align with the core values and with the person that I wanted to be. One thing that I really realized was that I would wake up on a Sunday morning and I would be overwhelmed with anxiety and I would get really, really cross and, and angry and the kids would wake up and I'd be like, this house is a mess. Nobody helps me. And they'd be like, holy shit, man, we've just woken up. Like what's going on? And it was only when I could take a step back and say, what is it? Now, I don't want to be an angry person. That doesn't align with my core values. Not Definitely not as a mother. I want to be someone who's calm, who, yeah, that they can talk to. What is going on? taking some mindfulness of like okay what is this situation about I'm feeling anxious I'm feeling overwhelmed and then what can I do to stop that these are the action steps that I can take to stop me feeling overwhelmed with anxiety and then it changes how I behave yeah and I think the big thing that comes to mind in all of this as well is being able to actually acknowledge that it's with you instead of allowing it to overwhelm you yeah. and then just reacting to it actually just pausing and saying I'm feeling quite anxious right now that's, yeah. that's with me in this moment yeah. and that's okay and it, it will pass yeah. I'm not an anxious person I'm just feeling anxious right now this will pass and Juan is on what a cool name. He said, OMG, I just found out about this channel a few hours ago and he's here with us live while <laughs> we're recording the podcast. <laughs> so Alexandra has shared, she said, um, because I obviously asked her to share a bit more. And she said, I had depression for years. I got into a relationship when I was 33. He started to abuse me mentally and physically. And mm. then I started to buy a bottle of wine to numb. I feel shame about that. Well, Ellen, I think you're probably best placed to speak about this. Yeah, absolutely. And I have no I have no shame in sharing this story, actually. So I've been in a relationship, my 20 year marriage, my 25 year relationship with um, my husband, who started suffering from mental health problems like six or seven years ago and started to uh, rely on alcohol and cannabis to to self-medicate. And I am now out of that situation. His choice, not mine. And like we just said, I stuck with my core values of trying to help. Um, all the way along but I didn't use alcohol to numb out in fact I think it was the other way around as soon as I found sobriety and had more faith in myself and felt more empowered I started setting boundaries and expecting more from other people around me and it was with that that I could gain some clarity of exactly what was going on Do you know abuse it is not your fault it is absolutely not your fault what you are responsible for though is how you react and setting those boundaries, what you do when, yeah, how you react in that moment. That's the only thing you can control. Um, we talked about it uh, a while ago about control was a huge thing for me. Um, living with someone who there's kind of mental abuse, you try and control the situation. Or certainly I try to control this situation thinking if I can just keep all of it together, it will be okay. That led to me being like up to here with anxiety, really, really stressed uh, on a major level. And of course, I couldn't control everything and the wheels fall off when you try and control everything. I'm definitely an over-functioning person uh, when it comes to anxiety. But 
the lesson learned is I can only control my response to that that's going on around me. So for me, it's keep on going back to your core values. Who do you want to be? How do you want to react to that? Don't stay in an abusive relationship. Set some boundaries. Like you, you're worthy of more for sure. Couldn't have put it better. It's so true. It really is. It, I'll never forget when I was doing therapy. I think I've shared this on a couple of things in the past, but it, it just rings so true. You hear the term soulmates all the time. Mm-hmm. And I know I've mentioned this, but not everybody's heard it. So I'm going to mention it again. <laughs> and, and But they talked about wound mates, how people are actually brought together by their wounds. Yeah. And like my wife was bullied at school. So her big big trigger is this fear of people hating her like when she feels hated by someone it brings back all that stuff about being bullied and then my my issue from being young was being rejected by my father and my mother was kind of emotionally absent one minute and overbearing the next and it was actually oh when we met each other subconsciously I think we thought that we were going to fix each other's problems meet each other's needs and it was our wounds that brought us together she had in me someone who worshipped her the opposite to hating her and I had someone who I firmly believed would never reject me but of course that can become really really toxic if it's not sort of brought out into the light and sort of owned and worked on and I just uh, just wanted to sort of add it to what you you yeah absolutely and that was the problem in my relationship was that it became toxic because it for exactly kind of the same reason is I thought that I could fix everything it's okay like I'm the complete opposite of that I always seek to be somebody who's better if there is a problem I find a solution for it I strive to be a better me I strive to be like mindful of what's going on with me Um, and I thought that I could fix this situation and completely subconsciously I didn't ever think oh I know I can fix this situation it was just like here's somebody that's broken but it's okay I can hold this shit together for all of us Um, and that turned into me enabling him to to do this to manipulate the situation all the time to manipulate me all the time Um, and we just couldn't get out of that cycle eventually yeah and so much of it comes back to control and toxic shame where you know, like your husband or ex-husband has kind of grown up with this low sense of self, that, yeah. but then he kind of projects it onto others, clings to every possible way he can control a situation or yeah. you know, manipulate someone so everything's about him or whatever it might be. I don't know. I'm yeah. not, I wasn't in no, the No, it was exactly like that. Yeah, I think abuse, it does, um, emotional abuse, it, it really is that. It turns to everything is about that person. Um, and... Yeah, it's very, very difficult for the caretaker in that relationship to because there's no one kind of there for you. When I say no one, I have amazing, amazing friends. And yeah, shout out to all my friends that have got me through the last few months because they have been amazing. And that's the thing with anxiety as well. You will have people around you that breed anxiety, that love the drama, that love like, oh, my God. And you think about it. You think yeah. as teenagers, like if we would go to another teenager, oh, my God, have you heard so and so and so and so? And that would mount and mount and mount. Don't seek those people out if you suffer from anxiety. Seek out the people that say, OK, do you have enough information to panic? Uh, the answer normally is no. 90 percent of the time we don't have enough information to be really anxious and ask yourself another question or get them to ask you the question. If you panic, is it going to change the situation? Because hundred percent of the time that is a no. 
That's so true. And also, just again, around that point around drama, just ask yourself if you're finding yourself getting pulled onto the drama mm-hmm. triangle. You can look it up on Google, the drama triangle, and read about it. But essentially, if if you or one of the other people in the situation are playing the rescuer, the persecutor, or the victim, likelihood is you're on the drama triangle. And as Ellen said, the best thing you can do is just walk away, go in yeah. the opposite direction. Few more comments um, come in. Um, and Alexander said, I literally did not drink anything until I was 34. And then Juan said, I'm 23. I've been drinking since like 12 years old and it always helped with my anxiety and depression. But now it's at the lowest point of my life. It's so hard coming home from a Latin to a Latino household where everybody drinks. But he is determined to get his life back. That's fantastic. And what a fantastic age to already start. And I think the thing to keep in mind is you thought that it was dealing with your anxiety. Um, But the truth is, it wasn't dealing with your anxiety. It was just numbing everything out. And I think as a result, when I definitely I was drinking quite a lot by the time I was 13, 14, we have this arrested development, we don't know how to self soothe when we're feeling all these emotions. So it's, it's difficult when you stop drinking alcohol, and all of a sudden, you're completely aware and completely present for all of that anxiety and all of those emotions that come with it yeah that's well put and he, he also said my depression and anxiety are actually at their worst and some days are just so tough but when i drink i can't stop so i'd rather avoid it but alcohol has done so much for me but i know it's not helping my mental health but the thing with that one is what's ringing through your comments is that possibly you're hanging on to a few false beliefs around alcohol because when you really drill into that alcohol has done so much for me I'm confident that actually it probably hasn't and you might have given it credit for things that it didn't deserve credit for things that would have been fun anyway if alcohol wasn't involved and you like realistically what does alcohol give us it's a drug so it's got to have an upside but it's probably 25 30 minutes of numbing out followed by lots of negative consequences i i I don't think it's worth the trade-off no it it really really isn't i completely agree again the brain thinks like i'm stressed i'm anxious anxious reach for alcohol is what i know but it doesn't take into account the long list of damage and believe me i the more distance i get from alcohol again it's the same as any relationship any toxic relationship you get distance you gain clarity on just how toxic that relationship has been um you you believe at the moment that it's done so much but with some distance and um, you will gain clarity that it is the complete opposite yeah i often talk about um quitting alcohol in the same context as ending a toxic relationship because yeah. at the beginning our relationship with alcohol's you know it's fine Fantastic. ignorant yeah. bliss and yeah. it actually sounds like juan is sort of at that state where he's between the two and he's realizing that actually is turning a bit toxic yeah. and actually one of the big things you know when when you you have a relationship breakup there there can be grieving there can be and most of us don't decide overnight that we will end a toxic relationship most of us go back and we have this whole it wasn't him maybe it was me maybe if I did things differently we were just talking about it before the podcast there's hope isn't there there's hope that things are going to be different and it is just when we change a behavior there are stages we have to go through and that is one of the stages of uh, maybe things will be different if I go back you're testing the water Um, but once your mind is like this is no longer serving me. There is no going back to that ignorance is bliss. 
Exactly. And that stage that you just spoke about is one of the stages of grief as well. Bargaining. You're bargaining for something. And actually, the best thing you can do, which we were talking about before we came on air, is the death of hope. When you kill off hope that there's a way, there's perhaps I can moderate, perhaps I can this, perhaps I can that. When you kill off the hope, you can move forward clear and calm. One decision. Yeah, absolutely. Um, What else? Um, Grace is with us from Los Angeles. How cool. Hi, Grace. I I reckon it's probably warmer here than Los Angeles. It's 44 degrees here. It's so hot. Yeah. You're in France, aren't you? I'm in France, yeah. Alexandra said, I did fight back. I have a lifetime restraining order against him now. I can't believe, though, that I would allow him to let me turn to alcohol. It It is not your fault. It is absolutely not your fault. And well done for taking power back and... Yeah, congratulations for getting out of that toxic situation. But look at the stages of change um, of behavior because you're just, it, you've got out that toxic relationship with, with the ex, now get out of the toxic relationship with alcohol. It is exactly the same procedure. And actually, I imagine getting out of the toxic relationship with the ex was probably harder than the drinking. I know it yeah. might not seem it now, but I almost guarantee it. That yeah. that will probably set you up for success. Yeah. And if you haven't drunk since uh, from until you were 34, that's amazing. Because actually, I don't meet many people who didn't drink when they, they were younger. So you've done it for years and years. Those neural pathways know that there is a different way to life. And the, the body is amazing. We remember all these things. And the body will go back. The brain will go back to remembering, I don't need alcohol. I don't need to lean on alcohol to have a good time or to be okay. You just maybe things that can build your confidence and going back to those daily rituals of what works for you. For me, it's mindfulness and um, being very grounded in the moment and all those things like the walking um, connecting with people that, that make you feel good. Follow the good energy. Yeah, that's true. And actually Alexandra's thinking about it. She's got more alcohol free years than probably the entire community added together. Yeah, absolutely. <laughs> that's a good spot. So Juan said, um, I agree that, that the hope is that little hope is there it'd give me confidence with people my own family and my girls i'm just so used to drinking and having a blast but now it's not fun i only drink at gatherings usually on the weekends but i used to do it every weekend all i would look forward to is the weekend my week would be miserable and the weekend was would would be fun i've started therapy i hope it works thank you guys yeah i it will work. If you embrace it, it will work. And I tell you what, my weekends, I used to look forward to the weekends. It used to be all about the weekends, didn't it? And when I was trying to moderate, the weekends would become like Wednesday, Thursday, Friday, Saturday, yeah. Sunday. But my weekends now are so much longer because I'm not wasting at least eight hours a day thinking, planning, drinking, um, or recovering from a, a hangover. I have so much more time and can connect with people that I love um, and that are I show up as the authentic me and that is the most empowering thing ever. And I think one as well, it's really worth analysing whether alcohol really made those events fun. Would, yeah. would they have been fun anyway? Or were you around people where the relationships aren't all that authentic and they were just about drinking and perhaps, you know, you might want to find some new people to connect with, new social 100%, circles. yeah. So I would really look at that because, it, again, it sounds like you might have given alcohol the credit for bringing fun into your life. And I know, I used to believe that too. Yeah. I know that actually we can have so much more fun when we don't drink. Yeah. And I think alcohol is sneaky as well. Like I'm three and a half years down the line, but I still occasionally, I'm like, wouldn't it be fun? There are still occasions where my brain goes there, but I know, I know for a fact that it, 
it isn't the alcohol that makes the situation. It is the people that you're around. And if the people you're around make you want to drink, then you need to find new people. Yeah, absolutely. Um, who else? Uh, someone else commented, I'm trying to get back to life before alcohol. Alexandra said, I definitely didn't drink until I got into that relationship with him. Absolutely not. Um, and Juan said, what is scary? I don't know a life without alcohol. I've been doing this since a child. My social anxiety gets the best of me, even with the closest people I know. I, th- I really think that therapy is going to help you, Juan, and really drilling into the reasons why you've had this need to numb out from certain things to allow alcohol to have such a such importance in your life because i imagine i don't know whether you are now but you've probably been putting it ahead of all the important things in your life and for me what i did was i made a non-negotiable commitment that i would no longer put alcohol in front of my wife my son my work my exercise all of those things um and, and i'm but i think it took me a while to get there i had to be ready to truly make that commitment yeah. and mean it yeah, and when you say it's scary because I don't know life without alcohol, turn that around. It's exciting. You don't know who you could be without alcohol in your life. Alcohol will always be there if you decide you you hate life alcohol-free, but my bet is that you will embrace it and you'll find that sobriety, actually the person that you become um, alcohol-free is much, much stronger and that you, you love yourself much more when you're alcohol-free. Yeah, that's a really good point, actually. I mean, I must admit, when I started exploring an alcohol-free life, I did get excited. I Mm -hmm. I knew that I was going to gain so much and I wasn't going to lose anything, that my life was going to be better. And I was joining this amazing community. I did a video on my YouTube channel called Why We Need to Think Like Vegans. And it was all about how people who make a choice, a lifestyle choice to be vegan, they don't sit in the corner crying because they can't have steak and dairy. They're passionate about it. and we're sober and proud as well it's like this is an exciting thing this is an exciting exciting stage of your life yeah absolutely and the stigma even from when I quit drinking almost four years ago the, the stigmas shifted even further yeah. and it's, it's all, the new trend it's like, a trend right yeah, without a doubt yeah, exactly. There's so many other YouTubers and podcasts and books. None as good as us. <laughs> yeah, no, none are, none are as good as us. Absolutely. Um, Alexandra said, I feel like alcohol had hijacked me. So, yeah. yeah, I can relate to that. And Juan said, not to mention all my friends and everyone I know drinks. And I'm at the age where that's all they do. My family drinks. I drank the first time out of my dad's whiskey bottle. But you're right. The negative thoughts get the better of me. Thank you. I need to be positive. Yeah, absolutely. And just remember, there's like half the world that don't drink. So the people around you, they're drinking, but there's half the world that celebrate, commiserate, have fun, all alcohol free. And you can be one of them as well. Yeah, absolutely. It's so true. And Alexandra said, I think I turned to drink because no one will believe the abuse I went through. I needed to numb. I couldn't understand that. I can understand that as well. And actually, that brings me to a point of that. I am going to set up a, uh, a Zoom call for people that are living with abuse or living with people with mental health problems, because there is not enough um, help out there for people that go through it. There's people that judge you. There's people that say, oh, why don't you just leave? But it's not as easy as that when you're in that toxic relationship. So uh, Alexandra, watch this space. Yeah, that's that sounds really beneficial. I think one of the really interesting things I could talk about relationships for hours on end. I won't. Don't worry. Um, but <laughs> but one of the things I've noticed is actually how many relationships where where even where there's on on that spectrum of abuse, you know, it's levels of manipulation, control, and yeah. it, and it's off. 
you know, and then you've, you've got one partner who is trying to do everything they can to keep it all together and keep yeah. it all rocking. And then you've got the other partner who I hate to say it, is inherently selfish. Yeah. Everything's got to be about them. Yeah. And you, you, but when you're in it, it's really hard to see it and to break free from it. And I think you, you look for external validation of what you're trying to do. And sometimes I, mean, I know in my situation, because I'm the more um, assertive one and my husband was more passive, people couldn't believe and still don't believe the manipulation and the abuse and that everything went back to him all the time. It was, be- well, you're strong, you can take it. So it doesn't matter. Well, still everything being about him all the time it, I can't take that um and yeah it's difficult when the outside world don't validate your feelings when it comes to it only you know behind closed doors what goes on and what goes on in your head um, yeah. and 100 like you have to be sure uh, and stay true to your core values I said earlier I didn't walk away from the relationship I didn't find the strength but I stuck true to my core values all the way through it so that now it's ended. I'm like, I did everything I possibly could and I can be at peace with that going forward. Yeah, knowing that you did the best you could yeah, you know, and you couldn't have done more. And so I would, would say, Alexander, um, just give yourself some grace. We are human. Uh, and that is the biggest thing that I, like, I'd like to yeah, kind of end on that. Give yourself some grace for we can't all do everything perfectly. None of us can do anything perfectly. Yeah, exactly. We can't even record a podcast perfectly. (laughs) I mean, near damn perfect. (laughs) Yeah, exactly. We knew the dog was going to bark. Yeah, we knew that. (laughs) Um, Right. Just a couple more comments before we uh, wrap up. So this is the this is episode one of our second season of the podcast, but we'll probably be doing more of these live on YouTube because I think it's great to be able to engage and hear comments as we're talking. It's uh, it's a lot of yeah it's it's a lot of fun and it's really nice to have a conversation and get everybody involved um linda says you two are the best you're so inspiring (laughs) i love you linda (laughs) thank you um someone else said i've been a vegetarian for five years uh this month and i've wondered why i've not committed to drink i've wondered why i've not committed to drinking in the same way and i think a lot of that's mindset isn't it mindset look at again go back to that um the stages of change look where you are and what you need to do to get onto that next stage as soon as you make a choice and just one choice then you're you're alcohol free from now on yeah absolutely and uh, yeah i couldn't agree more and really understanding that you you gain you don't lose and you've you've got to keep your mindset focused on that that this is about improving your life it's not a punishment it's about how you feel about yourself. <laughs> like, Absolutely. Yeah. Okay. One, one last comment from Juan again. It's um, personally, did being sober help the depression? Did any of you guys suffer? Um, I, I absolutely had quite significant issues with mood swings and periods and bouts of depression and they've really stabilized since I quit but there was also a lot of that learning around what I needed having a self-care routine everything Mm -hmm. from my diet Um, I take a real high dose of fish oil each day which has helped me 5-HTP all sorts of things so but there was a lot of trial and error in getting to that place but I kind of was making incremental gains as I went forward so it wasn't it wasn't the silver bullet, but it was definitely the big domino that allowed me to push the rest down. 
it is I always go back to it that is my keystone habit the butterfly effect that sobriety has on everything else on stabilizing your moods yeah. like yeah it might not be the magic cure but at least you can take that one huge huge factor out and then start to address all the others and we we mask so many other problems by um, using alcohol that at least once that's out you can start to address it properly and you can go to the doctor you can speak to your therapist you can speak to friends and family and it you're not just putting it down to alcohol all the time yeah and all the time that you carry on drinking you you just are never going to enable yourself to move forward and really understand yourself better or give yourself a chance to look at this stuff to start gathering data around what is causing issues and ups and downs in your life and of course for some people they stop drinking and actually they do get rid of their depression I've, yeah. I've dealt with many people who have so it can happen it will definitely improve i'd practically guarantee that yes yeah, absolutely okay we'd better wrap up so that's the end of episode one of season two of sobriety unleashed for the first time recorded in front of a live audience <laughs> um, and i think we might even be doing it as early as next week so watch this space we'll we'll put some posts on all the usual social channels thank you so so much for joining yeah thank you it's been, it's been amazing. amazing and we'll see you all again soon bye